Yo, what up? This is D-Knight, and you're listening to the Pardon the Interaction podcast. Welcome to yet another Pocket Pardon edition of Pardon the Interaction. Got something rather important to talk about to you today. A little bit of reflection. Take a bit of a more serious tenor today. Even share with you the driving motivation for even beginning this podcast in the first place. Of course, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're obviously well aware of what that might be. Before we get to that, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Sheets and Giggles. My man, Colin, the CEO, he has a wonderfully progressive betting company. It's working on sustainable products uh, to help mitigate some of the effects of, of global warming and such. I can tell you firsthand uh, that their sheets are some of the best in the world. They are, in fact, some of the best sheets I've ever slept on. You know, name your favorite luxury hotel and I guarantee you his sheets match theirs in quality. Uh, And they're absolutely the very best, most comfortable sheets I've ever owned. And getting quality sleep is one of the most important factors to get you through your day. So upgrade your sleeping experience by picking up a set of sheets and pillows from SheetsAndGiggles.com. We've got a couple of links in the show notes to get you a little pardon pod discount. And of course, I think the Dolphins won, so he's probably offering a discount in that regard as well. <laughs> Fins up, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I am recording this, of course, on the day of infamy, the day that we are told to always remember, to never forget because of the historical importance of the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers in New York City in 2001 and its impact on each and every one of us in our country and world at large. I don't actually have any personal connection points to the attack itself. I don't know anyone that was on the planes or anyone that was in the towers in New York at the time. I was actually in, you know, government and civics class at the time, so it's ironic that we were talking about the the practical implications of the legal and political system at the time of one of the most politically defining moments of our lifetimes. Uh, I mean, I guess we've had a number since then, but of course, this is one that stands out for sure just because of the sheer volume of the loss of life. I remember we had gotten news of the first plane hitting the tower over the intercom in school and, uh, you know, (laughs) at the moment, it seemed rather absurd like it, it seemed like one of those things that no one thought was possible We're like of course that could never have happened it just doesn't make any sense like how is that even feasible and of course our teacher turned on the television in our classrooms to the news and it was just in time to see a, a flicker off in the distance and of course we're all looking around like that can't be another plane is it and then boom it hits the tower it was unbelievable. It was one of those moments where like where the sheer magnitude of what it is that you're watching doesn't actually compute with the practical implications both in the immediate and the long term. You're watching this horrific event unfold right in front of you with no context for how it will define the historical context of how America deals with um you know, it's enemies abroad as well as its citizens at home. You, you can't even really consider the quantifiable effects of what it is that we were watching at the time in real time. 
because there's just no other reference point uh, at any time in history for anything of a similar nature. Maybe Pearl Harbor at the time, but that was slightly different because you understood at the time that there was a world war uh, taking place across Europe and Asia. And and while there were a number of politicians and activists alike weary of being drawn into yet another war so soon after World War One, you did understand that it was a possibility. And also you understood implicitly who our enemies were. And who our allies were. Well, on September 11th of 2001, when you're seeing planes fly into a, a building, which you assume are like, you know, domestic commercial airliners, like you have no context for what it is that's even happening. Like, is it an, is it an attack? Is it an accident? Was it homegrown? Was it our foreign adversaries? Was it Russia? I mean, for God's sakes. We just saw a second plane hit a different building. How many more planes were there? Like, when does the attack end? Who's responsible? How is this happening? And, of course, we were still reeling from what had at the time been one of the most controversial elections in U.S. history. Given that a conservative Supreme Court intervened and practically handed the White House to a Republican president despite the fact that he had lost the popular vote and a recount was underway in the determining state. You know, at the time of one of the most insane and unbelievable attacks on our country, the White House was also being plagued by an air of illegitimacy, not to mention the fact that we were also asking questions about not only the president's legitimacy, but his competence. You know, and his ability to unify a divided country and to lead one of the most powerful and influential nations in the world. It's ironic that in a moment of tragedy, <laughs> that particular president, George Bush, was handed the opportunity of his presidency uh, because in the aftermath of the deadliest terrorist attack on our nation in its history, the country unified together behind his leadership Uh, the questions about his legitimacy ceased and in some ways the public was more united uh, than we had been at any time since uh, the previous most deadly attack on our country in World War II with the bombing of Pearl Harbor not that I'm painting the 9-11 attacks as, as anything positive but just to show that out of a tragic situation that um, people can band together and unite in such a way to do something positive or with the intentions to do something positive uh, that might not have happened otherwise without having to face a a set of tragic circumstances. Uh, And I specifically use the word intentions there because, because of course the reality, thanks to George Bush, veered far away from whatever positive intentions we might have had as a country. Again, it's not lost to me that a pivotal moment in Bush's presidency uh, where he had the potential to unite the nation and lead us in a positive direction was provided him by family, friends, and business partners in the Saudi royal family. Given that 
a majority of the attackers and a majority of the funding both came from Saudi Arabia. Of course, we didn't know that little detail on the day of the attack or in the immediate aftermath. But once the attack was attributed to bin Laden, I am absolutely certain Bush put two and two together. And of course, uh, bin Laden's family living prominently here in America was allowed to flee uh, along with a number of prominent Saudi officials and uh, Saudi nationals and as we were dealing with our mourning as a nation um, our trauma for the from the attack you know questions about what we had assumed was a level of invulnerability to, to any sort of attack like this of any nature from any outside adversary Uh, While we were looking for any opportunity for payback, for retribution, uh, for justice, knowing good and well that Saudi Arabia was largely responsible for the attack, George Bush set us on a path to war in Afghanistan. (laughs) I apologize for laughing. You know, of course, it's a, you know, a dreary moment and and nothing to make light of, uh, especially given the amount of, of bloodshed and lives lost with our multi-decade wars in the Middle East Um, not only did we go to war in in the wrong country in Afghanistan once (laughs) we started a war in the wrong country just a couple of years later in Iraq which is beyond absurdity like uh, there is no level of parity befitting the absurd nature of how this buffoon ended up Uh, taking the most powerful army in the world and aiming it at the wrong country two times. Like, it's just, I guess as we would say on this podcast, yo, what the fuck? We then proceeded to let one Republican moron destroy our image and our credibility across the globe over the course of his administration. And before leaving office, he proceeded to destroy the economy as well. If that story sounds familiar to you, and you're not entirely sure which Republican president I'm referring to. There's a reason for that. It's because it tends to be a pattern. <laughs> it's like they have a playbook. How can we damage this country the most? It seems like that's, that's the only thing the Republican Party is good for. If you think about it, though, considering the number of enemies we made abroad and the via the availability of weapons here in the United States. It's rather incredible that we managed to go nearly 20 years without having yet another mass casualty event of that nature or any such terrorist attack that had the potential to threaten our democracy in a serious way. That is, of course, until January 6th of 2021. And I know a lot of you are going to say, uh, how dare you compare January 6th to 9-11. Look how many people died during 9-11. And I get it. As far as casualties are concerned, of course 9-11 was the more impactful event. But let me help you put it into some context. No matter how many buildings those planes hit on that day, there was no potential for American democracy to end. And those planes managed to destroyed the Pentagon and taken out our military leadership, our democracy would have persisted. Those planes managed to hit the Capitol building and 
take the lives of any members of Congress who were present. Of course, it would have been a tragic moment, but we would have elected new congressional representatives and our democracy would have persisted. Those planes had somehow managed to make it to the White House and crashed into the building and took the life of the president who just months before was having his legitimacy questioned by half the United States, if not half the world. Of course, it would have been a dark, tragic moment in the history of our country. But guess what? Just like we came together after the attacks on the towers, we would have come together after an attack on the White House and united as a country. The vice president would have ascended, if not the speaker of the house, to the presidency. And our democracy would have continued. It would have persisted. No matter how successful those attacks could have been on January 6th, there was at no point in any way, shape, form, or fashion where after those attacks, our democracy would have been over. There's no way. January 6th, however, is a completely different story, and I'll explain to you why. With the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and a mob of angry Republicans storming through the Capitol on January 6th, they were feet away from the vice president. They were seconds away from an unlocked Senate chamber. The members of our Congress were meeting to certify a duly elected president. And someone had stopped to kick in the door that they were running by where Mike Pence and his Secret Service agents were holed up. They could have taken him outside and put those gallows to use and potentially given Trump the opportunity to suspend habeas corpus invoke martial law and have the military surround the Capitol building and permanently prevent the transfer of power by stopping Congress from performing their duties and certifying the election for Biden that day. Or even if they had missed Pence. You know, they were seconds away from the Senate chambers, which had happened to be unlocked, And what if, instead of making a left turn to follow an officer up the stairs and away from the Senate chambers, they had instead made a right turn through the doors where the Senate would have been caught totally unaware. Trump's militias and his angry mob could have taken the Senate hostage and totally prevented the transfer of power from Trump to Biden by indefinitely delaying the certification of Biden's electoral college votes. May sound like hyperbole, but it was literally in the plan. The Proud Boys had weapons stationed right outside of DC, ready to be ferried in in case they did happen to take the building and needed to arm themselves in the attempt to prevent a siege by law enforcement. The plan included not only holding the Capitol building, but also heading to the Supreme Court and potentially taking Supreme Court justices hostages in an attempt to prevent them from making any rulings that could end up with the transfer of power from Trump to Biden. And of course, the plot was so extreme that they even had plans for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act 
and it deputized uh, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers as part of Trump's personal army uh, to surround the White House with enough weapons and supplies to last them through the supposed transition date on January 20th, just in case there were any attempts by the military to go into the White House and have Trump removed. I think as you can see, not only was there potential for January 6th to end democracy in the United States of America, we were fucking lucky that democracy didn't end that day. We didn't just dodge the bullet. Like, it grazed our face. We were that close. So very close. And I don't think enough of us take that shit fucking seriously. Of course, we do here on this podcast. But you've seen the media out there. Do they seem to be acting with any urgency given that our upcoming election features the same guy who planned the coup on January 6th? It doesn't seem to me as though they do. Do they seem to be concerned that if this person somehow manages to cheat his way back into office, he'll make sure that no elections ever happen again, at least no legitimate elections? Well, he's never going to give up power. He's been indicted in in so many jurisdictions that his only hope of staying out of jail is to become president and remain president for life. The only way he's going to leave office is in a casket. And that's not a threat or anything. It's just the reality of the situation. Like We're going to be looking for cholesterol to save us. Just got finished saying this very weekend that his plan upon taking office is to tell his attorney general to lock up his fucking political opponents. Prosecute them based on no evidence whatsoever. He's already said a number of times that he wants to lock up journalists. And I'm not even sure, you know, his plans are to actually lock them up, probably just have them murdered. You know, have have law enforcement that's loyal to only him go storm the offices of CNN and MSNBC and, and whoever else he believes to be a threat. Round them up and have them disappeared. And yet here you have a majority of the media out here treating him as though he's a normal presidential candidate. It's, it's fucking insane that they don't see that they literally have skin in the game. going back to 9-11 at this point it's difficult to even take that seriously anymore because we're told to treat it as such a dark and solemn day and we should always remember it but it's hard to do that when the most recent terrorist attack on our country the one that literally could have ended everything could have ended our democracy like a third of the country was rooting for the fucking terrorists Like, could you imagine if, you know, in 2001, immediately after the planes crashed into the building, you know, the president of the United States at that time had been sending out press releases saying how the hijackers were wonderful people and those planes were filled with love and passion. Like, what the fuck? And then not only that, imagine if like 
70 million people had been ready to vote for bin Laden for president. Because that's where the fuck we are right now. We've got our own Donald bin Laden and one of the major political parties in the United States is ready to make him fucking president. It's beyond absurd. And these are the people who spend all of their time waving their fucking flag, yelling about their freedoms and rights, demanding you show your gestures of loyalty and fealty to a stupid fucking flag, regardless of whether they're using that flag to trample on your rights and the rights of others. And what it's really done for me is put into context just how full of bullshit those people were and those words that came out of their mouth in the days, months, and years after 9-11 about what they believed in, about what they said this country stood for. Just like how much of that was total utter bullshit and they didn't believe it. And it was really just a, a power grab at the end of the day. They don't care about democracy. They don't care about freedoms. They don't care about liberty. Maybe at best they care about pretext. And I guess that's arguable considering at this point there's barely any pretext anymore. But there is one thing that I did take away from 9-11 and it's the fact that I'll never forget. Though it's not the planes crashing into the tower that I'll never forget or mistakenly invading Afghanistan even though it was largely Saudi Arabia that was responsible or how we somehow ended up in a war in Iraq over weapons of mass destruction that the president at the time knew they didn't have. No, it's not that. It's January 6th. I'll never forget the mob storming that capital. I'll never forget the calls from the officers who tried to fight the mob that day. The Secret Service members uh, telling their co-workers to say goodbye to their families for them because they didn't know if they were going to live members of the House of Representatives huddled in the congressional chambers as the mobs attempting to break through the window thinking they're going to lose their lives the hours of violence unfolding and seeing no one come to the rescue thinking this is it our entire legislative branch is about to die because a president who lost an election in an attempt to remain in power set his private army upon the Capitol to take out the only people who could hold him responsible and have him removed from office. Our democracy is about to die in broad daylight. And I'll never forget. In fact, that is the impetus for this podcast because not enough people out there, media members included, who are supposedly professionals and do this for a living, seem to be concerned about whether or not our democracy ends. They don't have any grasp of the moment, of the importance, of the threat, of the fucking urgency. But we do. If you listen to this podcast, you will too. 
Every time you see this podcast on your phone or whatever device you use to listen, look at the cover art. What's the picture of? The attack on the Capitol on January 6th? As well as some of the criminal consequences with Trump being perp walked under it. It's even in the title. Pardon the insurrection. Not not because we're intent on seeing the insurrectionists get, get pardoned. No, that's just a bit of irony and a play on words. But it's to make sure you know that at the end of the day, what's most important as far as the survival of our country, the survival of our political system, the survival of our democracy, and likely the survival of democracy around the world is that we hold the people who tried to overthrow our government responsible. Never forget. And if you even try, we won't let you. And that concludes this episode of Pardon the Insurrection.